Confucius once said, when words lose their meaning, people lose their freedom. Now, I'm sure you'll probably never expected to hear a sermon from this pulpit beginning with the words Confucius said. But while he may have been overstating the case a little, I think his point is taken, that words have meaning and they cannot simply be redefined to whatever we want them to mean. We must be intentional in the language that we use and the meaning we apply to words. And of all the words that have been redefined into virtual meaningless in our time, I think courage is near the top of the list. I think previous generations might be somewhat embarrassed to see some of the awards for courage that have been handed out in recent years. Well, the text before us tonight deals with courage. And as we will see, courage in this particular context carries a very definite and intentional meaning. Now, we spent several Sunday evenings and one Sunday morning in this series titled Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. And the goal has been to take the most popular verses in Africa, according to um, version, and to consider each in its proper context. And tonight we come to another one of these popular verses, specifically Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. And like many Bible verses, this is one that has often been taken and twisted out of the context and applied to mean something quite devoid of the context in which we find it. For example, take this application of the text, which I found on a website. The writer says, Whatever situation you may face, be assured that if you are courageous, strong, and faithful, God will be with you to make you victorious. Now, is that accurate? Is the promise of this text that if you just drum up enough courage within yourself that God will bless you by making you victorious in all you do. I don't think that's what the text is saying. And to be sure, there is wonderful encouragement for us in this text, but only as we consider it in its proper context and lift principles from it on the basis of of that context. So what does it mean to be strong and courageous in our walk with the Lord? Are there promises that we can faithfully cling to from this verse? Or are these words simply words that were spoken to a, an Israelite military leader centuries ago? Now, one of the cardinal principles of Bible study, as we have considered time and again, particularly in this series, is that while all Scripture was not written to us, all Scripture was written for us. You remember Anton's um, illustration on the plane. You climb on a plane, you're sitting Next to a passenger, you glance over, you see them typing on their cell phone, they're typing a WhatsApp message that says, I love you, and you're overcome with warm and fuzzy feelings, and you hug them, and you say, well, I love you too. That would be inappropriate because those words were not written to you. Although, to be fair, those words were not written for you either, but you you get the point. Um, Bearing in mind, then, that this text was not written to us, let's consider it in its original context to determine what we can take away from it for ourselves today. And when it comes to historical books like Joshua and many of the prophets as well, we need to bear in mind that there are three audiences that we have to keep in mind. Number one, there is the original audience in the text, in this case, Joshua. So this, uh, the Lord appears to Joshua here, and the Lord gives Joshua encouragement. So first and foremost, what did these words mean to Joshua himself? The second audience we have to consider is the audience that first received this book. Because Joshua was not the one who wrote the book of Joshua. If you carefully um, work through Joshua, you'll see that the book of Joshua actually records some events that took place after Joshua died. So this is someone, after the fact, writing these events, um, ascribing uh, or, or naming the book by its primary character, Joshua. 
But most scholars believe that this was a book that was written to the generation that had already inherited the promised land, but now through their disobedience were in danger of losing the promised land. They were the original audiences of the book of Joshua. So you want to consider the audience in the text, you want to consider the audience who first received the book, and then thirdly, what about us today, we who read the book of Joshua um, thousands of years after these events occurred? Well, to faithfully interpret Scripture, we must begin by establishing its historical context. Tommy read this for us. Yes, Joshua, who has been called to replace Moses. Moses had originally been chosen to lead the people into the promised land, but through his own sin, he had forfeited that privilege. And this privilege now felt, and this responsibility now fell to Joshua. Now, this is a daunting task because Joshua is going to go into the promised land, and there's no two ways about it. There's going to be military conflict involved. And this is a people that had not been trained in military conflict. Now, God had certainly used the 40 years in the wilderness to train them somewhat, but this wasn't a professional army that was going in. But that's what Joshua was being called to do. He was called to lead these people into a military conflict in order to obtain this, this land that they were called to go into. And so the temptation to fear is certain to arise both in Joshua's heart and in the hearts of those he was called to lead. And so God, therefore, graciously appears to Joshua, reminding him of his promises and his presence, and therefore encouraging him to courageous strength. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. We want to talk about this topic of courage. What is courage as it's defined in this text, and what does that mean for us today? And as we do so, I think we find that courage in this text um, involves at least two things, and it results in a third. It involves two things, and it results in a third. And we see this in the threefold repetition of the words, be strong and courageous, in verses 6 to 9. So first of all, the first thing we say about courage in this text is that courage believes God's promises. Courage believes God's promises. It says in verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. From the time of Abraham, God had repeatedly promised these people that he would give them the promised land of Canaan. As I said, initially Moses had been called to lead the people, but through his own sin he had forfeited that. But now that responsibility fell to Joshua, but the promise was in no way void. They were going into a land that God had promised. And Joshua was called to be courageous, not because he was called to drum up this courage in himself, but because this was something that God had already promised. He was doing what God had already promised to do, and on the basis of that, he could be courageous. His courage was founded in divine promise, not in unfounded optimism. The later generation to whom this book was originally written needed to be reminded of the same thing. They needed to be reminded that the land was theirs by promise. And so as the, the threat of exile was looming, they needed to know that God had promised them this land. And they could claim that promise if they would fulfill the obligations that came with it, as we will see in a moment. They needed to know that their fate, exile, or inheritance was rooted in God's promise. That's why they were in the land in the first place. If they obeyed God's commands, they would stay in the promised land. If they forsook God's command, they would be exiled from the promised land. Regardless, they could hold to the promise that the land was theirs by covenant although they could just as easily forfeit the land through covenant disobedience. God's people today, unlike Joshua, have no basis to claim military conflict. 
military conquest. That's not the promise of this text. God is not promising armies military conquest in whatever area they're operating today. But the principle is still there, that there are promises that God has given to us in Scripture, and courage involves believing God's promises. Now, part of the struggle is determining what promises God has made to us. That's, in fact, that's why we're in the series on Sunday nights, because we want to say, what are the promises that God has given to us that we can faithfully claim? But once we have responsibly and accurately interpreted Scripture, we can confidently claim the promises that God has given to us. That's what courage looks like. We can, for example, confidently claim the promise of God's gracious forgiveness. There's a promise in Scripture, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's a promise in Scripture, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise of God that we can say, I believe this promise. We can claim God's promise of growing holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, or 4 verse 3, sorry. This is the will of God, your sanctification. God wants you to overcome sin as badly as you want to overcome sin. If you desperately desire to overcome that sin that so regularly trips, up, trips you up, be courageous and believe that God wants that too. He wants you to overcome your anger and your bitterness and your lust and your unforgiveness and your greed and your gluttony and your covetousness as much as you want to be done with those sins. Another promise, another example, yeah? And we can claim the promise of God's gracious provision. Philippians 4 verse 19, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, there's a context to that promise. In the context there, Paul is writing to those who had created need in their own lives by sacrificing for the sake of missions. They had sacrificed, although they were needy themselves, they looked at Paul and they said, Paul, as a missionary, is in need. We are going to sacrifice to ensure that Paul's needs are met. And Paul's promise to them, God's promise to them in response, is that my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We can claim the promise that if we create need in our lives by sacrificing for the sake of the gospel, God will meet our needs. We can claim God's promise of gospel advance. That's what the Great Commission is about, isn't it? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the world, to the end of the age. Anton preached toward the beginning of the year from Matthew 1 verse 21. You shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. God intends and promises to save every one of his chosen ones. Do you want to see gospel advance? And believe God wants that as well. And God has promised that he will save those whom he intends to save, despite the seemingly insurmountable obstacles to it. So believer, as you rightly divide the word of truth and accurately determine God's promises to his church today, be strong and courageous to believe those promises. The second aspect in our text of courage is that courage obeys God's precepts. Courage, first of all, believes God's promises. Secondly, courage obeys God's precepts. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, he repeats that, in doing what? Being careful to do according to all the law that, my Moses, that, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. If Joshua courageously believed God's promises, he would courageously obey God's precepts. Belief would be manifested in obedience. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. God had promised Joshua the promised land, but if he would believe that promise, he needed to actually carry out God's commands. He needed to do what God was calling him to do as evidence that he believed God's promises. The success that God promised Joshua rested on his belief in God's promises and his obedience to God's precepts. A later generation needed to manifest their belief in God's promises by obedience to his covenant stipulations. As the people that are receiving this book, they're facing the threat of exile. They needed to know that God had given them this land, but if they wanted to stay in the land, they needed to both believe God's promises and obey God's precepts. They needed to obey the covenant stipulations that God was going to give to them. If they wouldn't do that, they would be exiled. If they would do that, they could stay in the land of promise. The land of promise would be theirs by the same courageous strength that Joshua was being called to. And let me say the principle remains true for us today. Once we have rightly divided the word of truth and understood the promises that God makes to us today, we can act on those promises by fulfilling the obligations that they imply. So let's consider these promises that we we spoke about in the previous section. If you believe that God has promised forgiveness to those who ask it, repent of your sins and ask for forgiveness. You believe that God will grant forgiveness to those who repent, well then act on that and repent of your sins asking God for forgiveness and cleansing. If you believe that God has promised growing holiness, that it is God's will for your sanctification, then cut off that offending right hand and pluck out that offending right eye as you trust Him for grace to resist temptation. Look at those sins that weigh you down and say, God wants me to overcome these things. Let me do what God requires. Let me put in the effort that God is asking me to put in to overcome these temptations and then trust Him for the grace to actually do that. If you believe that God has promised to provide your needs, according to Philippians 4 verse 13, be faithful in sacrificing for the sake of the kingdom and trust God to provide for you. Don't just say, well, I believe that's a promise, but I'm not going to actually, you know, my budget is too tight. I can't actually do anything about it. I believe it's a promise, but I can't do it. No, go ahead, obey God's precepts and trust him to meet, to fulfill his promises. If you believe that Jesus has promised gospel advance, be bold in sharing and modeling the gospel before unbelievers with whom you come into contact. You believe that God wants to save his elect? Well, then share the gospel and trust God to bring his elect across your path so that as you share the gospel with them, God saves those whom he intends to save. Take him at his word and courageously do what he requires as you trust him to give what he promises. But then thirdly tonight... Courage not only believes God's promises and not only obeys God's precepts, but as we do that, courage enjoys God's presence. Verse 9, this brings us to the primary verse under consideration tonight. Have I not commanded you, and yes, the third time, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Notice how he brings it back to, this, to, the, to the basic principle. Have I not commanded you? Joshua, do, do you believe what I've commanded? Do, do, you believe that, do you believe the promises that I've given? If you believe the promises that I've given, then obey my precepts, and as you do that, you will enjoy my presence. He could be courageous because God had commanded him to do what he was calling him to do. As Joshua believed God's promises and obeyed God's precepts, he could be confident of God's presence. He would not be marching against the Canaanites alone. Remember earlier when Moses had said, Lord, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. Well, Joshua didn't have to fear that. If Joshua believed God's promises and obeyed God's precepts, he could be confident of God's presence with him. The first generation readers needed to understand the same principle. They may have wondered, is God really with us? As these Babylonians and the Assyrians and the enemies are attacking us, how do we know that God is with us? The enemy seemed overwhelming and they needed to find courage somewhere. And the message of Joshua for them was that if they believed and obeyed God's covenant stipulations, they could be sure that God was with them in the land that he had promised to them. There was no need to fear the enemy if they believed and obeyed. When we believe what God has revealed and act in appropriate obedience, we have every reason to confidently believe that he is with us. And let me just say, by the way, that if we take the full counsel of Scripture, knowing that God is with us doesn't mean that we will live a life free of affliction. In fact, it's in times of affliction, in times of fear, that often we sense God's presence the closest. It's often how God lets us know that he is with us when we go through those moments. But that comfort of God's presence is contingent on believing what he has revealed and acting in appropriate obedience. One of the curses of contemporary evangelicalism is the teaching that we can just expect victory after victory after victory. God doesn't offer us any such promise. What he does offer is the comfort of his presence even in our defeats if we will trust his promises and obey his precepts. So there we have it, I believe, a responsible handling of this text before us. Joshua needed to be courageous to believe and obey God's promise to lead Israel into the land. And as he did so, he could be assured of God's presence with him. The first readers of Joshua needed to be courageous to believe that God had given them the land. And they needed to obey his covenant precepts in light of that belief. And then they could be confident that God was with them. We need to learn to be courageous to believe the promises God gives to his new covenant church today and to be obedient to the precepts that attend those promises. As we do so, we can be confident of God's presence with us, whether in victory or in defeat, blessing or burden, elation or affliction. Of course, we can't conclude without remembering that the greatest evidence of God with his people was the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't it? In Jesus Christ, God took on flesh and became a human being to live with his people. As a human being, he, died, he lived the life of believing his father's promises and obeying his precepts. And then for three unimaginably dark hours, he experienced a separation from his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he experienced that separation as he took upon himself the sins of all those people that he had come to die for. And having pray, pay, paid that price for sin, he once again rested in his Father's presence. My God, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because of his work on the cross, 
as vindicated by his resurrection from the dead, we need never fear separation from God. He was separated from God so that we could enjoy God's presence if we will but trust in Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. And let me say the meal before us tonight testifies of that very reality, testifies of what Jesus Christ did for us so that we could enjoy God's presence with us. And so let's partake joyfully together tonight in wonder of God's promised presence with us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he experienced separation from you as he took the sins of the world upon himself so that we could experience your blessed presence forever. Thank you for the example of Joshua. Thank you for the text of Joshua that we have before us. Well, thank you for this reminder that if we believe your promises, if we obey your precepts, we can confidently be or take comfort in the promise of your presence with us. Help us to be those who responsibly divide the word of truth and obey the precepts that attend that so that we can experience your presence with us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.